Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Richard Hanania. Richard Hanania is a writer, researcher and president of the Centre for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology and a research fellow at Defence Priorities. Now that Under the Skin is on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review there as it helps us and we will read them all out. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly Under the Skin podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple Podcasts or download the Luminary app. Hey, listen, if you've not got tickets to see me on tour, go to russellbrand.com, sign up to my mailing list, and I'll give you a code to get a 50% discount for gigs at Bristol and Blackpool, as well as loads of other information. So sign up to my mailing list right now. Keep watching my YouTube channel regularly because it's always fantastic. But now it's time to speak to Richard Hanania. He's edu- he's a brilliant educator, great communicator. He's done incredible research around the war and gives you a not around war, around, around the military-industrial complex and military action and American foreign policy more broadly. If you have a little listen to him, I think you're going to understand with a, a new depth and a broader perspective many current military actions around the world. In this part, we talk about how American foreign policy benefits certain companies and people. Do we? Yeah, it's the bit where it's about Mark, uh, Lockheed Martin and Nikki Haley and uh, generals are just auditioning for big jobs it's a good bit have a listen trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that's, route yes that's, that's that's exactly right we're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss it doesn't look like an ideology what's beneath the surface of people we admire of the ideas that define our time the history we are told and welcome to russell brand under the skin whose interests uh, forgive me for asking such a kind of blunt question. Whose interests do you think are ultimately served by American foreign policy? How do you? What do you think dictates these outcomes? Oh, there's oh, there's no. I mean, there's no, no, no shame in asking that question because it's it's a great question. It's uh, you know that's uh, that's I think what you have to ask. So the uh, you know American foreign policy. A lot of if you look at um, you know a lot of the there's groups that disproportionately benefit from a more militarist foreign policy. Uh, so there's large corporations like uh, Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin that depend either exclusively on government contracts or almost exclusively. Um, and they are involved in the political process. They donate to politicians, they donate to uh, think tanks, they employ uh, former generals as consultants uh, and things like this. So there's the, um, you know, there's the defense industry, the military industrial complex. It's almost cliche, but it's cliche because it's, it's, it's true. I mean, if you're an observer of American politics, it has a huge role to play. I think a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of the ideas behind American foreign policy. And it's not like the uh, military industrial complex comes along and says, you know, give us all your money because, you know, we like money and we want to be rich. Uh, there's usually support for certain ideas. Um, and, you know, that's what happens. The, the bureaucracies themselves become advantaged by certain policy. Um, NATO is itself sort of a lobbying arm. If you look at um, the uh, top general of NATO, he's always sort of more hawkish than where the American administration is. Um, and so they have a mission that they believe in and that and that benefits us. You know, it's probably uh, genuine what they believe in. But, you know, this is a this is a another influence on our politics. So yes, yeah, generals, it's weapons manufacturers, there's influence of foreign governments. Uh, these concentrated interests have an outsized role to play in American uh, foreign policy. Is there evidence, like, I was surprised to learn just then that Lockheed, Martin and Raytheon, these big military industrial complex institutions exist almost entirely or entirely from uh, based on government spending. Can you 
see examples of where they're lobbying money might influence outcomes can you see how i recently learned obviously stuff that you've probably known since you were a nine-year-old boy but things like like politico is funded by weapons manufacturing money and stuff like can you sort of for our audience sort of just explain well look what it is is Raytheon and Lockheed Martin spend this much money on lobbying then these congress people own shares in those companies then these newspapers report on the war in this way then these pundits go on CNN that have ties to the military like so that we can sort of see how that influence plays out yeah, you can actually often, you know, do it just exactly like you say every uh, every step in, in the uh, process. So the Lockheed Martin one is actually good. That one is actually uh, interesting because uh, Politico has this national security newsletter where they summarize the news and certain perspectives on what's going on in the world. And at the top it says, um, you know, uh, supported by Lockheed Martin. And that's actually you know better than most things because usually they don't have that disclaimer. So you sort of you sort of you know at least there's openness in that. Uh, but Lockheed is actually a very interesting case. There's a book called Profits of War. Uh, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. It's a you know, double entendre. Um, and basically talks about Lockheed Martin's influence. So a lot of people have heard of a Project for a New American Century. Um, it was a neoconservative think tank. A lot of people in the 1990s um, who went to serve in the uh, Bush administration who were behind the Iraq war, who wanted to overthrow Iraq uh, long before 9-11. Um, it was actually started by an executive at Lockheed Martin. I don't know if this cost actually a lot of money. If you, know, if you looked at how much money they put into Project for a New American Century, it might not have been that much, but basically their executive um, was behind this sort of neoconservative ideological movement. People, they come and they look at the ideology. They say, oh, look at these neoconservatives. They have crazy ideas, and they certainly do. Um, and not many people know the story of how they came to power and who was supporting them. Um, the, same, uh, the, same lo- the same executive was actually involved in uh, uh, programs to try to expand NATO in the 1990s, you know, when we did that, when people weren't really uh, paying attention. Um, there's a great, there was a great Bo- uh, Boston Globe ex- expose five or six years ago um, about uh, American generals. And they basically did a database of how many go work for contractors after their, uh, you know, after their retirement. It's almost all, it's pretty much all of them now, the three and the four star generals. Um, And, you know, it's not like, you know, that's not like the, uh, it's not like these companies are paying them while they're, you know, while they're serving, but you could see how this could be corruption, right? You, you, you're basically auditioning for a much more lucrative job after your government service. And that's getting, that's going to sort of incentivize you to prefer certain policies uh, and not others. So it's very clear. I mean, just basically anyone you remember from the Bush administration or the, uh, or the Obama administration, not, not as much in the Obama administration, definitely the Bush administration to let's extend the Trump administration, just look up what they're doing now. And you'll often find that they're, you know, they're on the board of Boeing or they're working for Lockheed or, or something like that, or Zoom actually, uh, HR McMaster's on Zoom. So this is, uh, it's not even like directly related, but there's, you know, there's a payoff at the end of the, you know, sort of these people, end of these people's careers. And it's not very subtle and it's not very hidden. It doesn't take, you know, super research skills to find any of this out. It's sort of out in the open and we just sort of accept it in foreign policy where we probably would be asking more questions in other areas. If you had a more holistic perspective on reality, rather than one that was so entrenchantly temporal, you would look at a member of the government while they are in administration and just say, wow, I'm just listening to a future employee of Raytheon or Lockheed Martin. And even while chronologically that may yet not have occurred, it will occur because we can see that it always occurs and that these policies coalesce and align. So 
in a sense, there's sort of no such thing as government. The structures are so interwoven that the government and the government's actions so um, commensurate with the required outcomes of these private corporate institutions that their very existence is more a simulacrum rather than a real bureaucratic entity responding to the democratic will of the population that it was elected to serve. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't always like this. I mean, maybe people think this in certain uh, um, in certain respect, this might be unavoidable. But you know, you read history and you read about you know Harry Truman and how he lived after um, after he left the presidency. You know, he 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 didn't didn't live very well. I mean, Ulysses S. Grant. I mean, going back further, wrote his memoirs in order to make money. I mean, he was he was, had been president. Now, you know, the president goes. There was this event with the George W. Bush. He's speaking at some like self help conference. They pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, uh, for a speech. So there did used to be sort of not even laws, just norms. You know, you're a president, you don't go hawk toothpaste or you don't go speak at some uh, self-help guru's conference after, uh, you know, after you're retired. Um, you're right. We, we we just don't, you know, we've just become accept, acceptant of it. Um, there, you know, even not even, you don't even have to look sort of temporally what's going on when they're in their government. They, you know, I, there was a, like Nikki Haley, for example, they, when they talked about her in the media, she was on the board of Boeing and they wouldn't even say she was on the board of Boeing, they would say former UN ambassador, and they would talk about her past job. You know, suddenly the the something that was happening at a different time was relevant, and her current job on the board of Boeing, which I think she eventually left for some reason, but she was there at the time and getting quoted in the media. Uh, so yeah, there's been, um, you know, there, there, there's just a lot, just a complete lack of questioning on, on the board. I mean, on, maybe on a lot of things, but the foreign policy stuff in particular, there's no like, there's almost like no left and right, you know, when they, often when there's like one side does something, the other side has a reaction. In the United States, at least, it's, you know, sort of a completely united establishment that at least us to not question things and ultimately to some bad policy outcomes. Yeah, that's mental, Richard, the idea that she would say, yeah, I'm mostly defined by my work as a UN ambassador. What about your current position as Boeing? Don't really think about that much. I'm also, I'm mostly, think of me as a UN ambassador that's currently, you don't need to know exactly what I do for a living. Mind your own business. If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all of the latest episodes of Under the Skin.